0: This episode is brought to you by SoftLayer, an IBM company. If you're an entrepreneur, SoftLayer has created an incredible program just for you. It's called Catalyst. Catalyst offers amazing perks to you and your company, including credits to use their servers, mentorship, connections, and marketing support. To find out more, visit softlayer.com catalyst. Again, that's softlayer.com catalyst to find out more about this amazing program. Also, Dillashaw LLC. Not all attorneys are focused on startup legal issues. From setting up your entity to vesting agreements and term sheets, Bart has experience working with startups everywhere and has been a trusted resource in the Valley, Austin, and around the Midwest. Building a brand goes deeper than logo design. It's how your customers feel about the product and service that you're offering. It's how you speak to your customers. This week, we discussed branding and what it takes to build a great brand. We also caught up with Neil Patel, content marketing genius and founder of the very popular Metrics. You don't want to miss his insight into the day-to-day productivity work hacks and what drives him as an entrepreneur. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside.
1: Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a
0: podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley.
2: Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the
0: country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. And I'm Paul Jarrett. This week, we are talking about branding. It's a huge topic. Uh, we don't even really know where to start. We're just going to jump right This is at-
2: like 17 episodes all in one. Are we talking like
1: branding big core topic? Are we talking like something like specific, like naming your company. Are we talking like
2: Jungian archetypes, archetypes? Are we
0: talking like, <laughs> we're talking about all of the above, baby.
1: This oh, is man. a five part series.
0: Oh. <laughs>
2: this
0: will take us through an entire go, go month get of my, November. Go get, my <laughs> go get my helmet. Go get my helmet. <laughs> so we will be talking about branding for the
2: next two years. <laughs> These episodes yeah. are going to be so loaded with bullshit. Cause we're talking about branding
1: <laughs> inside, outside branding. <laughs>
2: yeah. So, uh, what, what is a good brand? What makes a good brand? Oh, man, that's a ginormous question. Um, um uh, my my take on it so i that's kind of the world that i came from for almost a decade yeah um i think that having a solid foundation um uh, understanding of like functional benefits emotional benefits like um kind of getting all of that down that archetype of the brand is crucial
1: Unwrap that a little bit
2: <sighs> Yeah I'm um, like
1: like just define what what you're talking about, the, the terms?
2: Right. so there's there's a branding exercise and, I'm, and I kind of see it in my head and 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 a lot of companies have their own way of uh, you know, a lot of ad agencies and branding agencies. They kind of have like their magical way of, you know, this is how you discover your brand, this is who you are. Um, it's it's kind of it's all, you know the same thing rearranged. But understanding kind of the uh, purpose of your brand, like in one line, right? Um, Like ours, for instance, is uh, to help people discover products to feel better. Yeah. Like that's the, so core. the core story. Yeah. And then you kind of break down, you know, what's the emotional benefit of that? What's the functional things that you do? You know, there's kind of a list. And and I think, you know, you can Google, save yourself, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at a branding agency and go Google it. Um, there's a, there's a book called take a stand for your brand. And, and I think that's a really good, solid book, um, but kind of understanding the core of what it is that you do. And and I've been on both sides, you know, rebranding for multi-million dollar, you know, multi-million dollar rebranding campaigns and then starting something from scratch. And, you know, I think the most important thing is having that core. And then this is actually the hard part is getting that core team to buy into what it is. Um, and then through that whole thing, never saying something that you aren't so never kind of put down what you want to be it's putting
0: down who you currently are at the time so I want to talk a little bit about um, the so taking all of these philosophies and these ideas and then kind of disseminating it down into Something that is that is tangible, something that's usable that that your company can reference whenever they're talking to customers, whenever they're you know creating copy in any way, well, writing talk, a blog post.
1: Let's talk about startups in general. So let's say you're you know brand new. You've got an idea. You're going to launch a product. I think too many startup founders think, well, branding's my logo. So I've got to you know come up right. with a great logo and then I've right. got my brand. Um, versus again, kind of going down to what am I building? Why am I building it? Who am I building it for? What's important, and I think it's hard at the startup stage a lot of times because a lot of that's in flux. You yeah, know, you don't necessarily know exactly who your customers are. you yeah. don't know exactly what features and product you're going to be building, and so you know making core branding decisions at the very early stages of startup is is sometimes very challenging. Um, and I think people get hung up on a, a lot of it. Like I've got to have the perfect name out of the gate, and yeah, while it would be great to do that, and if you could nail it on the first try, great. But also know that. Sometimes you're going to have to go back and redo things, just like you're going to do something with rebuilding the product or whatever. Right. And I think I think you have to be accepting
0: of that. I think yeah. a lot of people get so married to their brand mm-hmm. whenever in, in reality, you know, it starts changing over time as as you iterate on your product, as your potential customer base changes, as you know, who you're speaking to changes and all this this kind of stuff. You just have to be, like you said. I think you just have to be really open to uh, evolving. I I wouldn't even say changing. I would just say evolving it. I
2: I think too many people kind of treat their brand and their companies like uh, like a baby. Right. Yeah, and um, um, nobody wants to hear that their baby's ugly, Um, (laughs) but they need to treat it more like a, almost like a maybe a business partner, perhaps. Yeah. Um, But one thing that I've seen that really helps, and this is after you know years of working with clients and whatever, is is actually, you know, when you're when you're trying to determine the brand and who it is, some exercises that you can do and some things that I've seen that are really valuable is like identify the brand as a person. Like if it was a celebrity or somebody on a show, like who is that person? And like, would they talk, you know, the way that they're talking, what tone would they use, et cetera? Um, I've seen people, you know, kind of really wrap their head around their own brand by kind of. You know, um, uh, there's a word for it, humanizing. Um, there's, oh, there's a fancy word for it. Um, not coming to mind. Um, <laughs> but kind of, somebody's in their car right now, shouting it. Like, yeah, oh, there's a word. Um, but kind of humanizing your brand and giving it up, um, you know, that personality and and really asking yourself whenever. Personifying.
0: Yeah, maybe that's yeah. no, it. Let me that. just let me just open my fancy word dictionary. Here.
2: <laughs> Flip through the pages. But I think that's a really um, um, great tactic when you're first starting out.
0: Yeah. Um, so, regarding the brand guideline, so this this piece of paper, this series of, yeah. uh, you know, uh, leather bound, uh, some people <laughs> laden deck, this whatever, stage, <laughs> uh, laden <laughs> with gold, um, the brand guideline. So, how do you create a brand? What, what is the first thing that you do when you are trying to take this whole massive idea? And putting it into a notebook putting it into something that your employees can pass around well I
1: think I think one thing you got to think about is the fact that it doesn't matter really what you put in that notebook your brand is not always something that you want to you can dictate it's part of the brand is what the customer thinks and feels about your company in the first place
2: I think that's a new concept that's happened within the last five to ten years that didn't hold true previous right, right. or it used people. to
1: be able you could just cram it down people's yeah, throats enough exactly. times on, on TV and that, and they'd eventually this get is, it. But yeah, but yeah. This is
2: where like most agencies are failing right now. They, they fail to understand that, what you just explained. So I'm glad you brought that up.
1: It's not what you put in the book. So you can't always dictate the brand. The brand is a amalgamation of what your customers think about you. So, you know, you can say we are the healthiest brand on the planet, but if your customers don't believe that, then yeah. that's your real brand. And so understanding that it's a dynamic thing and it's not something that the company can dictate all the time uh, is an important thing to put into into consideration.
0: Right. So how do you, uh, I I would actually very, very uh, solidly agree with that. Um, How do you emphasize what the brand is? if If it's kind of an amalgamation, if it's always changing, if it's, Kind of this amorphous blob in your company that you're not exactly sure what it is, which I think that the freedom to do that is actually pretty powerful mm-hmm. if you can do it, not everybody can do it. Um, how do you if that's the choice that you decide, um, how do you get the brand across to uh, to your employees and whenever they're talk, whenever they're writing blog posts and, and, and you have um, you're not sure the language that you're supposed to use? I
1: think one helpful tip is to map out how your customers interact with your brand in all the various stages, you know, whether it's through customer service, whether it's through your website, whether it's yeah, through friends and yeah. referrals, and really have a good understanding of that map um, and, and where your brand touch points are and then fr- from that, what can you do to influence those particular touch points? You know, is it a, you know a training manual for people who answer the phone, and this is the way you answer the phone? Or you know, Slack does a really good job with their Slack bot, and it's you know very conversational and Slack bot exactly. And he pops up work. when you, when you need him <laughs> and Son things like a- that. <laughs> But that's that's probably a very conscious brand decision uh, of how to phrase that or, or yeah. how to make that part of the overall feeling of when you use Slack, this is kind of the experience that you're going to have.
0: I want to take a little break and remind you that this episode is brought to you by
1: SoftLayer, and
3: IBM company. Hey, this is Rich Malloy from SoftLayer, and IBM company. We're a big server company. We have a program for startups called Catalyst, where we give you credits to use our servers, offer you mentorship and connections. If you're raising money or bringing on new partners, you should think about how to craft a great pitch. We sat down with Rich to hear his thoughts on putting together a great pitch story. The Art of the Pitch is all about storytelling. You need to craft a great story about what you're building. And I'll give you two quick frameworks that you can use to think about your story. One is from small to large, and the other is from large to small. Small to large is starting the story about an individual user and their pain point, and then how your product solves their pain point. And then you go big from there, talking about the market that they're in, and then the larger market that they're in, and how all that is your total addressable market. The big to small is coming from the other side. Here is this big, hairy problem. And then you start to work your way down and say, this is the beachhead of the initial market that we're going to tackle. And once we've tackled that, then it opens up the whole world for us. So figure out whether you want to start big to small or small to big and start to craft your story around that message.
0: And now back to the show. How do you how do you mix uh, mix brand with with design, uh, especially when it comes to like whenever you're designing a logo? Um, How do you how do you capture your brand vibe whenever you're actually putting together a logo?
2: Well, I think you need to understand who, you know, the audience is and, and, you know, when it comes to brand, you need to understand the, you know, tone of voice, um, the graphics and, and other things that you're using. And I think, you know, as you discover that process, your logo will kind of come apparent, you know, maybe not the physical design of it, but kind of the colors and the moods and the, you know, is it it more rounded, is is it more square font? Exactly. So, um, I think that's kind of the approach there, and 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 I'll I'll tell you I think you guys have probably seen like our brand guidebook, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we created at Blue Box a brand guidebook. Um, it's something that I've done at multiple companies. Um, the uh, The brand guidebook is it's kind of like a resume. I think like there's no right way to do a resume. It's whatever you believe is the like most correct way to do it. Yeah. Whatever you're the most passionate about, yeah. um, I think there's a few basic principles you need to follow. But over time, you start to see what coworkers react to and what they don't react to. And you know, ours, ours will uh, you know cover. We actually have a um, um, access where we have forms of humor. And we actually have Mm. like plotted on a graph, like, we do say this, we don't say this. Like, we never like attack somebody personally, but we have like self deprecating humor. So we actually have like kind of drilled down that far into it. Um, But that's powerful. yeah. When it comes to, um, uh, and I can't take credit for that. I got to give the team credit for that because, uh, um, th- that was actually some confusion on like, what's our sense of humor. Um, and, and I'm really glad we actually were able to put that in the guidebook. Um, but tone of voice, uh, mood boards within the guidebook. Um, those, those are all things that have kind of evolved over time. And what I always push to do is to, delete stuff if we don't need it within the guidebook. Yeah. So, um, that document is the first thing when we make a hire, um, we sit down and we go through the entire guidebook and explain, mm-hmm. you know, what every single page means. And it's interesting how heavy that bleeds into culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've developed a great culture at our work and I think it's because a lot of people understand and buy into the brand that we have and they're proud of the brand that we well, have.
1: Well, if you want your employees to, you know, th- they are a representation of your brand. Absolutely. They're, they're walking around. Absolutely. At- Whether they're wearing huddle shirts, walking downtown, or blue box shirts, they're a walking representation of your brand. So I think that's important, and too few startups really focus on that and are deliberate about – communicating that story to their employees about here's what we stand for. Here's how we communicate that. And here's what we would love our brand to be represented by uh, out there in the real world.
2: Humans are like pretty, um, you know, we're, we're we're pretty like uh, primal, right? And we want to be part of like tribes and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, want to be part of cultures. And, um, I think brands are, you know, exactly that, right? Mm -hmm. And when somebody wears a t-shirt, they want to say, like, I'm part of this group, I'm, you know, part of this tribe. You're banging the drum t-shirt, right? right? That's like, we all want to be part of that, like, startup community. So I think at its essence, that's something that you should consider as you're developing your brand. Like, how do you create your tribe that people want to be part of?
1: How much... I was going to say, so here's a question Um, for early stage startups. They don't have enough money to hire a a massive agency to kind of do this for them. What are some simple things that they can do to kind of get the brand off the ground uh, to actually start launching a product or service into the space?
2: I think for so many things it's like you start at Google Like like no, like you, yeah you start at Google and, and you research and, and you see things that kind of when it starts making sense to you and you say oh I can go through those mm-hmm. exercises um, you know you do them and only do the things that you're passionate about and then just realize like over time those things will probably change and maybe you hire somebody that has yeah. experience with that or maybe you run into a mentor or somebody um, but I think just starting is yeah. like the just like anything with a startup that's like the most crucial point of it.
1: I recommend, uh, you know, maybe going out to the web and finding brands that you want your company to represent or or be similar and kind of leverage what's been built out there. Again, it doesn't have to be within your own industry. It could be another industry, but it's like that look, feel that, that brand, brand tone, all those things can have an influence on what you want to do and create for your own brand.
0: Yep. How much does, uh, does your company culture uh, kind of determine your brand versus Versus like your, your, your customers and the, the, where you want to go.
1: I'm a big believer that companies don't really control their brand anymore. That's interesting. Um, you know, social media, it's, it's, you know, you cannot control what you want people to believe anymore. You can right. have an influence and you can try, right. but at the end of the day, customers are going to believe what they feel and, and Based the experiences experience. that they yeah. have interacting with your brand. So I, that's why I think it's important to have culture and things along those lines. But um, just because you can't dictate it and control it doesn't mean you shouldn't be prescriptive or, or try to um, you know, position in such a way that is this is the best way we would like to present our our face to the world.
2: What's a brand that you guys admire the most?
0: Probably Amazon. I mean, down really? to, uh, I freaking love Amazon. The brand, the brand of it. Uh, go ahead. I'm, mean, I'm just It's curious. not about the logo. Yeah. <laughs> to me, to me, it's, yeah, it's not about the logo. Um, I think the logo's is okay. It, it's about the feeling that I get when I, when, when I order something and it shows up to my house a day later and mm-hmm. free shipping you know that, that i'm just yeah. i'm just like holy like does that yeah, it has have very do... little to do with the
1: logo or what you did it's, yeah. it's the execution yeah. of that brand and, brand and
0: i feel like it's the perception that they're always on the edge of something you know that that 60 minutes article yep. where they were talking about drone delivery that was a, a, incredibly intentional and they want they want to uh to kind of create that perception that yeah they're they're creating a new precedent for something for an exciting future for humanity like i, yeah. I like that vibe just gets me really pumped that's
2: brand to me it's funny because i'm like on the total other end like i hate amazon's brand because it (laughs) feels like this giant like cluster given there's probably like the e-commerce part in me that's like like you know just not liking them because in a way we compete with them but even before we started doing what we're doing it always felt like just a such a cluster and every turn and and good for you amazon but like every turn they're trying to like get you to sign up for so just squeeze like another few pennies out of you yeah and then also there's just been things where you know i get charged for them and i'm like how did i even sign up for this thing like i i have a personal account um and i had to purchase something through amazon because i couldn't find it anywhere else of course and um the whole process I was just like dodging signing up for prime. Like it was insane <laughs> how much, and I was like looking for like little tiny hyperlinks on like the no thanks. I don't want prime. <laughs> and it like made me f- super frustrated with the Amazon. I'm like, damn it. I just want to buy something and get out of here. And yeah. you know, like good for them. It obviously works, but yeah. What about um, you, Brian?
1: I mean, obviously Apple comes to mind. Everybody uses that as a yeah, you know, Apple, clear, yeah, clear brand. You um, you know, Distinctive and powerful, and everything else. Um, I some of the startup brands uh, I like are like Mailchimp. They do a really good job yeah, of being they're, they're playful fantastic. and yeah. and incorporating, you know, and as what a, a new boring user business, right? Like, yeah, exactly. What, what's yeah. such
2: a boring business to make email, fun? Yeah, exactly.
1: So I, I think they do a really good job of uh, communicating well with their customers, um, making the experience fun and light, uh, even to the point where you know, I don't. Know, if you use Mailchimp and you publish your email newsletter, it, you know, has a little monkey ready to press the button, the red button. It's like, are you sure you want to send this uh, (laughs) newsletter out to your 10,000 subscribers? That kind of stuff. Uh, But just really, I guess, prescriptive as well as playful with their brand
2: yeah i enjoy any sort of a kind of software that kind of like lightens the situation or or has a little bit of fun with it like all yeah. too many times in the business world everybody takes themselves so serious and it's not like you know doctors or or anything or we're not curing you know whatever and then it's fun it's when an email software, <laughs> right right like, like slack i think is done well um woofoo. like on that front
0: woofoo yeah woofoo yeah. is another one so if you go to Woofu, it's like uh is it dinosaurs that they're that Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're yeah. Yeah. so like at, at every turn. They uh, got by Survey
1: Monkey, Emily, yeah. but yeah.
0: And yeah. ev- every turn, there's something kind of funny. Like, right. you try to do something, and there's a little dinosaur screaming, woo, like, like a yeah. roar or something like that. It's just kind of funny. What
2: are, what are they screaming? A
0: roar. <laughs> no, what was, what
2: was the sound effect before that? Woo. <laughs> 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 or I don't know that's awesome. that is the just, scariest uh, dinosaur I've uh, ever heard of in my life <laughs> can you imagine running as like a caveman from a di- from a dinosaur yeah. and it's and it's running after you <laughs> going Whoo. Ooh, roar, <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex going after you. Yeah, that's a comic book right there. Yeah, there you go. So I'm I'm a big fan of um, Google, and I really like their their new branding. How they kind of like cleaned it up a little bit. But I actually think that's a great example of you know people that didn't really have a clue about branding, and they just had a <laughs> yeah. badass product. And and I like Google because of their um, uh, they can take risks, and it doesn't matter because they have all the money in the world to cover it. And I remember like. Google wave and then like Google crow and all this like crap that comes out. But like, you know, their, their products will kind of beat the branding. But I would say like overall, um, I'm a huge fan of Lululemon.
1: Oh, right. It's just,
2: like mind blowing, what they've been able to do and reading in their history. And, you know,
1: so. Um. And branding's evolved. I mean, if you look at, you know, tech branding back in the 90s, it, you know, it was Microsoft Windows 3.1, whatever, and IBM XYZ plus. E learn. Exactly. And so, you know, I think thankfully branding has, has evolved, and that's something you've got to be it's aware nice. of as you build your company as well. That, you know, again, branding's more than the logo, it's more than the the things that you put, you publish out there. It's yeah. It's a part of uh, your interaction with the customers.
2: Yeah. You remember in like the early nineties, I think it was, what was it? Like Clippy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> was that his name? Yeah. And then like everything you did, there'd be like, you know, a dog would pop up like an animated dog and it would go search. God, it was like so cool. And then now I look back on it and it's just terrible. That was cool. Oh, I loved it when I was <laughs> little, when I was little.
0: Yeah. So, uh, to summarize this conversation, I know it's, it's kind of, uh, an evolving conversation. We've covered a lot of topics. Um, how do we summarize can brand? We,
2: I think can we put a call out for people
0: to maybe
2: ask specifically on absolutely and you can cut this out if you want. But like, You know, what do they do? They want to talk about naming or branding or specifics because I think this is a topic that a lot of people are um, passionate about, and it's something that they can wrap their hands around. We could do
1: a whole segment on just how do you name your company. What are some tips and tricks?
2: And I would love to do that episode. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole episode
1: on domains, like we were talking (laughs) about domains. Like, how do you how do you acquire it? How do you grab your Twitter handle? (laughs) Because that's actually harder than a domain name nowadays. So Yeah. yeah. yeah, let us know.
0: Uh, you know, regarding the specific facets of brand, what interests you? What would what would you like us to talk about, uh, Let's you can do naming. Yeah. I mean, you can hit us up on uh, Twitter at the IO podcast and we will, uh, we'll definitely take your, um, take your thoughts. So, uh, so to just to summarize this conversation again, uh, brand is, you know, I, I really liked Brian, your comments on the fact that brand is always changing. It's really hard yep. to kind of
1: boil it down yep. into one very specific thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the basic thing for startup founders is don't think that your logo is your brand. Yeah, I um, think yep. move beyond that, and you'll go a lot farther.
2: Yep, don't be afraid to iterate it. Just like a you know software or program or whatever you're doing, the brand will iterate over time, and um, you're you're probably wrong when you start, but you're on the path to being right.
0: There you go.
4: I thought press was the most amazing thing in the world, but the good thing about that was I realized that hey, press doesn't really do much for you.
0: This is Neil Patel. It's usually kind of arrogant to say, just Google me. But in this case, I would recommend it. You'll find hundreds of incredible in-depth blog posts that will change the way you see marketing, business and work. On top of that, he's co-founder of the incredible Metrics, Crazy Egg, and the very popular Hello Bar that you've probably seen at the top of our website and many others. So, uh, first of all, thanks for coming on with us. Um, the way that you think is, is amazing and, and kind of unreal. <laughs> Uh, so you optimize at every corner. You, you always get the best deal, etc. Can you just kind of give us an example of, of your thinking and maybe tell us a story that emphasizes that way of thinking?
4: So when I was a little kid, we didn't grow up with much money. And as I started making decent money, my mom used to tell me, right? Because I was old enough to remember the struggles. My mom used to end up telling me, it's always harder to make money than it is to save it. The people who do well in the long run live a simplistic life. They don't spend too much. They save and they prepare for the future. Future not being a few years or five years from now. Future being fifty, a hundred years from now. Right? I know that sounds crazy, but that's what my parents think. So I've always been stuck in that mentality because I was raised that hey, money is hard to. Uh, it's hard to earn money. It's easy to spend it. And I remember I used to like see my parents. I like, got places like. The mall like Macy's trying to get stuff at a discount, right? You don't really see people trying to like haggle at Macy's. And I used to be embarrassed as a kid. And as I started growing up, I was just like, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. This money is hard earned. And sometimes my parents would actually save money and convince them to give them something for less. And I was like, you know what, why not? If I can save money by just opening my mouth
0: and saying a few words, it's worth a shot. So uh, where so is that where entrepreneurship kind of began for you? Was it in childhood or or, or was it something later?
4: Childhood. Uh, I got it from my parents. My mom was an entrepreneur and she lived, uh, she was, a, my mom and dad, right? They were able to give us a middle-class life because they worked their tails off. Uh,
0: so... You've had kind of a, a phenomenal career. Um, one of the earliest accolades was in 2005, I think, uh, and there may, be, may have been some before, but the Wall Street Journal named you one of the top influencers on the web. Um, how did that feel at the time? And tell the history of how that came about.
4: It was awesome at the time because my first big press piece. Right. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm in the newspaper. This is amazing. And it was funny, I didn't. the area I lived in, they didn't really sell Wall Street Journal. so you'd be shocked on how many different places and how many hours it took before I got my hands on one coffee, right? Like it probably took me three hours of running around. But overall, you know what? I was actually really happy for it, and I thought it would change my life. It didn't really change my life. I thought press was the most amazing thing in the world, but the good thing about that was I realized that, hey, press doesn't really do much for you. You focus on your business, keep pushing hard. You're much more likely to succeed than if you try to get some limelight or some glory or some articles or some TV presence or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah. And what were you doing that kind of uh, made them kind of take note of you and, and name you one of the top influencers at the time?
4: I was really popular on the social web, like Dig, Reddit, sites like that, and I was getting stories to the homepage and driving a ton of traffic to businesses every single day.
0: So your website says that you lost a million dollars of borrowed money at the age of 21. (laughs) What is, Tell, tell, tell us about that, like that's crazy.
4: Yeah, I borrowed money to create a cloud hosting company before it was really out. And it failed, but I kept putting money into it. I don't know why. Live and learn, right? And uh, I, the biggest problem with it wasn't the idea, it was the execution and the people that I was putting the money into.
0: So you're 21 years old at this time, like what what was going through your head?
4: I was like, life is over, life is tough, I should just go get a job like at a Microsoft and call it a day. That's really what was going through my head. But then I just buckled down and I'm like, you know what, screw it. Let me just focus on what I'm good at. That was being SEO and internet marketing. And let me like, just do it for other people and see what happens. And I was
0: able to repay the debt in 12 months. So I want to I shift gears a little bit to uh, some of your ideas on content marketing. And so it seems like everyone was doing or is doing content marketing now, but you were into it super, super early. Uh, what was it like in those early days, kind of forging the way? It was actually really easy back then.
4: You write some articles, you get on dig and Reddit, your traffic explodes, you get links, you get rankings, Uh, and it was actually fun. And I was just like, "All right, how many of these things can I do before everyone else catches on?" Now you have to spend way more time creating higher quality content, spend more time promoting it. It still works extremely well; it just costs way more money and time.
0: And so, how did how did you back then? How did you even know that content worked? Were there other people doing it or? some of these things, did you just kind of invent the way to do it, essentially?
4: Well, people were already creating blogs and they were getting popularity from So I was just like, why not create blogs and actually try to generate leads from it? Most people were just creating blogs and just putting up ads. In my head, I was like, ads are one of the worst ways to monetize. If I own a consulting shop, which I did at the time, or I own a software company, which I also did, why can't I generate revenue for it? For example, with Crazy Egg, the third most common response on why you signed up is because I was reading the blog. The first response is word of mouth. I don't know what the second response is, but I should know. The third response is actually very close to the first one, percentage-wise. So it just shows the popularity or the power of content marketing.
0: So tell tell us... Uh Tell us about your history with the infographic and is it, is it kind of true that you kind of popularized that?
4: I probably popularized it because I did it more than any other marketers out there, right? So they're like, this kid is crushing from infographics and I just kept pushing hard and hard on it. It worked really well. And I yeah. should do more of them, but I've done so many. Like I've done hundreds of them from my own sites.
0: Do they, do they still work in the same way? They do. No kidding.
4: Yeah, people just don't want to spend a thousand bucks to do an infographic. That's how low I got the cost down for a high quality infographic.
0: Are there any trends that are kind of like, you know, the infographic was back then that are happening today that you're jumping on in a similar way or is it pretty consistent?
4: There's no new trends that I'm seeing. So infographics still work well, webinars still work, blog posts still work, uh, YouTube videos work as well too. Nowadays, most of the tactics are already being leveraged. You just got to do all of them and you got to do them better than most people.
0: What are your thoughts on podcasting?
4: Podcasting works great too. My problem is I travel too much for podcasting.
0: Um, so I want to dig into your thinking when it comes to content marketing. And I've read you know a lot of your posts, but one specifically expressed how you're able to write so much and run a company at the same time. Um, and I will say that post actually changed the way that I think about content. And I'm sure that with the way other people think about content, can, can you give us a breakdown of how you're able to com- accomplish so much in so little time.
4: Few things. One, I have an assistant who helps me manage my schedule. Two, I have this trait. We were doing like personality traits throughout uh KISS when I was at KISS Metrics throughout all like the team members. And they found that if I don't get enough accomplished each day, my personality trait shows that I'm not satisfied as an individual. Like I feel down on myself. And I think that helps me get a lot of stuff done because I'm happy when I work. When I don't work, I really am not happy as a person. I don't know what it is. I'm just addicted to my work. My parents always tell me I'm married to my job.
0: Um, And are there there any specific tactics that that you can kind of give that help you get a lot more done?
4: So I look at everything as in a quick and dirty model. How can they get it done fast and as choppy as possible yet still look good? get it up get feedback keep iterating and that's what i really do right i believe it's all about iterations and learning as you go versus trying to do everything perfect from the get go
0: so let's um let's shift gears a little bit uh to neil patel the entrepreneur uh, and let's talk about the companies you've started but i specifically want to dig into kiss metrics and and tell us the story about how you came up with that idea with heaton and and maybe some some ways that you gained early traction on that
1: Yeah, so
4: KISS Metrics came out of Crazy Egg. Crazy Egg was a heat map analytics tool, right? KISS Metrics helped people or helped us at Crazy Egg figure out the lifetime value of our customer, why people churn, why they don't, et cetera. But that's why we built KISS. It was to help us solve our own tracking problems. Because we're like, we're getting people signed up on the front end, but why aren't they staying longer? Why are some people churning? Why are some people canceling their free trial?
0: And were, were you a marketer before you decided to actually start like a company, or what was you know running companies always kind of native to your thinking?
4: I was a marketer first. I've always been good at marketing.
0: And what kind of propelled you into thinking like, you know what, I could I start a company?
4: Well, technically I had an agency, right? So I was just helping other people with their marketing, but I was like, you know what, if I can drive all this traffic and make all this money to other people,
0: why can't I do, it? I do the same thing for myself? So to get, to get early traction on the company, do you, do you uh, focus primarily on content or is there a mixture of content and press or how does that work?
4: So for me, it's when I'm creating, a starting from the beginning, I just purely focus on content. I don't worry about press. I do worry about social media. And in
0: 2014, you and Heaton decided to leave Kissmetrics. What was, what was the driver behind that decision and what are you up to now?
4: Yeah, we still love the company. It was just time for us to move on and uh, go back to crazy again Hello, Bar, which is what we're focusing on.
0: How much did you guys raise at Kissmetrics in the early days for your seed round?
4: I don't know. Uh, seed round, I think a million bucks. I think in total we raised like 15 or 17 or 18, 19 million, something like that.
0: And how did that how did that kind of come about? Was it just some of the contacts that you guys shared or did you kind of cold email people or...
4: The contacts that we shared, and then also getting introductions and cold emailing. It was a bit of everything.
0: So, what is the, what is the kind of drive? The main driver that makes you who you are, and then what are, what are some of the goals that you have in life?
4: Yeah, um, one of the main drivers for what I like everything that I do, and it comes down to goals, right? So, my main driver is I want to create a business that generates $100,000 a year in revenue that's self-funded, right? That's what makes me move so fast. That's what makes me execute. It's just like business is that never-ending sport. It just keeps on going on, and you just want to accomplish your goals. And I don't know what it is. I don't care for the money, really. But I just want to hit the goal to prove to myself that I can do it.
0: Yeah, and, and so somebody who is uh, who may have similar goals out there and, and wants to create a, a business of some kind, um, what, what's some pieces of advice that you would kind of get them uh, give them to get started?
4: You got to figure out how to start on your own. That's always my advice to people. And the reason being is if you can't figure out how to get started on your own, you're not going to succeed because that's the easiest part of creating a company or running a business.
0: Um, so we, we always like to close out the interview by asking, uh, is there anything that our audience can do for you?
4: Nothing, really. Uh, you can check out my blog, quickspot.com and neilpatel.com and if you ever need help or anything like that, you're always welcome to
0: email me. I give a lot of free advice. I don't really try charging for stuff, although I should, but don't really care to. Well, there you go. Another episode down. Special thanks this week to Neil Patel for joining us. Stop by his Twitter account and let him know how much you enjoyed the interview. If you have a question this week, you can also reach out to us on Twitter at the IO Podcast. Also, if you have 30 seconds to spare, we would love for you to stop by our iTunes page and leave a review. And while you're there, feel free to subscribe as well. Until next time, go build something big. Bloopers. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You will look at, I'm going to redo that because you were squeaking. (laughs) We should do a blooper reel at the end. (laughs) That'd be really funny, wouldn't it? Well, maybe. I think so. (laughs) I think so. Hey, everybody, and welcome...